на трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Привет! The RFN podcast is back again this week to discuss Krillia making the quarterfinal of the Russian Cup. Is the sole lower league representative left? Tambov's continued existence thanks to the generosity of some unknown benefactors and other RPL clubs. A certain transfer of one Quincy Promise back, in, back into Spartak in the RPL. And Krasnodar's first leg loss against Dinamo Zagreb. Despite Marcus Berg's brilliance up top, the side forgot how to defend after the higher-ups at the club themselves forgot that defenders were even necessary to purchase in the first place. The usual suspects are back again. As always, David, looking forward to this weekend? Oh, yeah. Long time coming, so yeah, very much looking forward to it. And Richard Pike. Now, Richard, I'll allow you some early time for a post-Moscow derby gloat right at the start here, if you'd want to. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I only forward the, I only do Dinamo for the site. I, I'm not as engaged in them as you are with Spartak, but um, yeah, because I follow them for the site, I'll happily take the two, the the victory over the weekend, so... <laughs> Yeah, now as you mentioned, over the weekend, Russian football did actually return in earnest as a plethora of sides took took part in the Russian Cup last 16 knockout stages. Now, to quickly run through the results, there were as follows. Uh, Zenit 1, Arsenal 2, Dinamo 2, Spartak 0, Siska 2, Skar 0, Krasodar 1, Sochi 2, Logo 3, Tambov 0, Rostov 0, Akhmat 1, uh, Ufa versus Ural was postponed, and Kimki nil, Krilia four. So to start at the very start of the weekend, Zenit was shocked by Arsenal two one. David, you cast an eye over this game. So what happened to the incumbent champions? I did. Um, I missed the opening stages of the game. Um, tuned in just in time to see uh, Diane Lover and Handball will give away a penalty. Um, so that well, that was grand. It was a bit unlucky. I'll give him that. Like ball, ball looped over. I think from a cross, someone headed it. It hit the bar and came straight down onto Lovren's arm, which was outstretched because he was trying to knock, head it over the bar. But you know, as the, the rules are rules, and that it was a peno. And then, uh, so before it even joined in, it was one one. Then it took a lead, a bit of a scruffy goal off a, off a set piece, and then ultimately equalised. Also a scruffy goal, a deflected free kick. And then for the rest of the game, um, then it just, I don't know, it just didn't feel like they were ever really going to do anything. Um, you know, Arsenal uh, just soaked up the pressure like like they would not like you would expect, a team winning away in St. Petersburg. And, uh, you know, Zenit, they're playing without without Malcolm and without, uh, you know, some of their, some of their, what you might put down as, as key players. You know, you have Sutomin um, and Mostavoy as like the Y players, which isn't really the most you know, penetrative, you know, players. No Jerusi, no no Asmoon, no Malcolm, and they they really just didn't create anything. It didn't really ever look like they were going to get back into the game, despite their. Uh, I, I wouldn't have don't have the stats in front of me, but I expect they have very high um, percentage of possession, uh, and you know, and Arsenal just shut them out and defended pretty well when they needed to. Uh, I remember uh, I thought Dobnio was doing pretty well and Gregolava had a good game as well at the back. Evans Kangwa causing trouble on the counter when needed to just to carry the ball and get away up the pitch. So, um, yeah, disappointing. And they're, they're going to... I've been backing them to win the title, but, you know, early days as the season restart, they need these key players back to, to um, you know, to try and make that push. You know, if, if Asmoon and Drusi and, and Malcolm are going to be out for much longer, then it's it could turn into a struggle for them at the top, you know, which would be good, nice in terms, you know, a nice title race, but um, not ideal for them. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, this is Parfionov's first victory over Zenit since he was actually a Spartak player in, in 2002. So it's it's been quite a long time coming for him, but very well well deserved result, and it's definitely somewhat of a surprise, but. A welcome one to see the cup going into the hands of of a different team this year and potentially changing up the European qualification spots at the end of the season. Now, Richard, you seem pretty buoyant after Dinamo's 2-0 victory at home to Spartak. So how did the Blues pull off this win? Having watched nearly all this game, um, I thought it was quite a balanced game, I have to say. Um, 
little more even than the 2-0 scoreline suggested. I mean, obviously, Dinamo got in at half-time with um, a 1-0 lead, uh, thanks to a penalty um, in the first half. And then second half, first 15 minutes of the second half, I thought Spartak came back at them and played quite well. Um, and there was a glorious chance at 1-0, I think. I think one of the Spartak players, I've forgotten who it was, shot the ball at goal. It was in the penalty box. Shot the ball at goal. Shunin saved it, but only parried it. And it went right into the path of Moses, Victor Moses. And um, it was a glorious chance to make it uh, 1-1. But the finish was quite tame. Shunin saved it and this time held on to it. And it seemed after that, like that Dinamo then suddenly started to get more of um, a control back in the game. Um, and I really liked at times the way that they pressed Spartak off the ball. There was a really good um, analysis piece on um, Register, um, and it basically the title kind of of this piece sums up basically what happened in the game. It was Dinamo forced Spartak to make decisions quickly, and Tedesco's team had a problem with it. And um, that kind of is what it is. This Gagan pressing style, instigated by a German coach, Chandra Schwartz, um, really you know played a pivotal role in Dinamo's win and. Um, and the second goal um, in the game from uh, Konstantin Chukavin was um, a superb back heel. Um, if you haven't seen it, I really advise those that haven't seen it to uh, find highlights on um, on the internet. It was a delicious back heel from um, a free kick into the penalty box, facing away from the goal. And um, yeah, it was, um, it was a lovely goal. And uh, yes, Dinamo came through a tough test. You know, obviously Dinamo Spartak, one of the, Bigger sides in the league was going to go out this round and um, Dinamo managed to get the job done. Um, and a good sign for the start for the restart. You know, Schwartz is integrating young players, especially Chu Carvin. He's also giving um, minutes as well to Gulyoff. It's, um, it's encouraging to see some of these young academy products get minutes and frequent minutes too. And um, yeah, it, 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 it bodes well for the future because obviously a lot of the... Um, some of the foreign players, you know, have like Sylvester Boone, Clinton and G can be phased out in the summer. And that also frees up foreign spots for Dinamo to go and um, try and attract some new um, players in the market so they can really have a go next season at closing the gap at the top of the league. So quite encouraging signs. And um, But this season, to me, yeah, the Cup's definitely on now for Dinamo. Um, it's an excellent opportunity for them to 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 push for this title now. Zenit are out, Spartak are out. Um, so the the cup represents a, a real chance now for Dinamo. This is a club that's not won a trophy in 26 years. So, cool. yeah, um, optimism for the restart ahead with this cup win. Yeah, and of course, Dinamo, aside from the cup, they're only actually three points behind Sochi, who currently occupy fourth in the RPL as well. So, real some some real upward momentum from Dinamo. And I I agree. I really like some of the young crop of. Academy players that they've got coming through at the minute who've really been impressing. And if I remember correctly, last time I checked, that Dinamo were quite were very successful in the youth league and were top with a lot of these players making the step up. Now, to discuss Spartak from a bit myself, um, Domenico Tedesco had actually uh, experimented, as he claimed it himself, with a back four during the entirety of the winter. Um and then when it came to the Dinamo match, he, he once again lined his side up in a back four, uh, playing Victor Moses on the on the wing instead of in right wing back. And not that I think that was the fault of the loss or the reason for the loss. I just I agree with what you said, David. I think that, uh, Richard, sorry, I think that they really struggled with Dinamo's high press. And it's not the first time that Spartak have struggled with that this season. Sochi play again, quite a high pressing game. And they've taken points to Spartak this season quite convincingly as well. Uh, they tend to do better when... Well, they're a little bit of a glass cannon. They tend to do better when they're really dominating a side and uh, one with backs against the wall rather than someone who really gets up in the faces. Um, however, Spartak have had a little bit of a... or a massive boost since the since the game. With today, they, they announced the signing of Quincy Promes from Ajax. Of course, everyone knows that name. He is eponymous with the RPL and RFN listeners. Is the the Dutch winger from for in for eight point five million euros. Now we do have a new YouTube video that'll be getting dropped on Saturday morning, Saturday early afternoon. That'll be about Promes' Promes's time in in Russia and Spartak last time, and it'll be a, probably a must listen for most Spartak fans. 
And it was actually the deregistration of Ostan Uranov, the quite highly rated Uzbek, uh, and his subsequent loan move to Ufa, which allowed Promise to come in and for Spartak to keep Alex Kral and Pedro Rocha registered in the squad if needed to stay under that foreigner limit or right on the limit. Now, David, what's your thoughts on Uranov? Do you think going back to Ufa and maybe getting away from Spartak is inevitable and perhaps a good move for him? It's a perfect move for him. Um, you know, uh, the move to Spartak, it was nice at the time because he was a player who we were, who I, I, I particularly was enjoying watching. You know, he was he was such a breath of life in an Ufa team, which for most people um, would get bored of watching. Obviously, I, I quite enjoy watching watching Ufa play anyway, but he was just uh, a breath of fresh air. You know, we had those two breakout players about this time last year who's came into the league and started just dribbling with the ball and doing whatever they wanted, basically, which was him and uh, Kvitra, obviously. And I think he'll make a real difference to them. Um, you know, at Spartak, it didn't work out because I, in a in a general sense, obviously, he was brought in with Gazizov from Ufa. Gazizov himself, obviously, that didn't work out for whatever reason. Um, and the fans very quickly didn't get on board with, with Urunov. You know, they... They didn't like his social media posts that he, you know, just pr- probably coincidentally posted the day it was announced or whatever it was of him, you know, shopping or whatever. Um, and he was just sort of a bit of a meme player for them. He was just Gazizov's player, Gazizov's pet, uh, and just wasn't there for... I mean, we, we figured he probably wouldn't be afforded the chances because he's a young guy and Sparkark have a lot of quality players. Um, and in the position that he was playing at Ufo, which is, you know, Midfield, one of the usually one of the attacking midfielders, you know, in their sort of weird formation behind the striker, where he would just carry the ball, um, and that's what we've been lacking, you know, this season. They've we go back a couple of years. They had Sylvester Boone, who was one of those guys who would pick up the ball and he could just carry the ball and get Ufa up the field. Um, and without Urunov this season to do that for them, they they've been really struggling and really and going very direct. Um, Obviously, not scoring much as a result of it, and struggling at the bottom of the table. And obviously, they lost him and Fulmin, but I think Urunov alone coming back in could really just change their season. Just give them that extra dynamic, that extra bit of dynamism, that extra directness on the ball rather than floating, like just going long. So, um, you know, good move all around. You know, at this age, you know, twenty years old, he needs to be playing regularly um, in order to develop. And we know he's a good and talented player. Um, you know, not not perfect, but has has all the ingredients there to take a step up to a to a next level, to a Spartak in the future, definitely. Um, but he just, you know, it didn't work out at Spartak, and that and that was that. So, um, you know, looking really really looking forward to watching Ufa. Obviously, it was a shame the cut match got got called off because um, I expect he would have played. Mm. So um, yeah, looking forward to um, seeing him hopefully play this weekend. Yeah, it's a real shame around the transfer in general because you can tell that there's a real talent there and a blossoming talent as well. And what's so good about Urunov is that the the skills that he has at his disposal isn't something that you can necessarily train into a player. You can you'll find decision making better with experience. You can train into him how to react in certain situations. But that pure dribbling ability, that low center of gravity, that keen keen eye for space and ability to hold on to the ball in difficult situations is not necessarily something that can really be trained, at least to such a, a raw, talented level. So it, it's a little bit of a shame how it worked out at Spartak for him, but to be quite honest, he probably should have made the move, the loan move to Ufa as soon as he went to Spartak. Spartak was silly for keeping him around, and maybe it was Gazizov himself being a little bit stubborn, because Gazizov is, is a very stubborn man. Maybe it was the whole circus at Spartak behind the scenes that they always have been and probably always will be in, in this regime. But the the sooner he got out of there, the better, and especially after Gazizov's departure, it was just an inevitability. Richard, what's your thoughts on Urinov? Yeah, I completely concur um, with you guys. I think that um, it was important to remember with Urinov as well that he'd only played 10 games for, for Ufa. He was a winter-window signing last winter, you know, and uh, he'd only actually played 10 games for Ufa coming from Uzbekistan and he obviously was only 19 years old then so I can understand why you know um, you know any kid in that position I can understand when a big club like Spartak in, in Russian terms when a big club like Spartak come call when you're going to go 
but it probably was, yeah, just a season or two too early, you know, and uh, maybe he could have done with signing for Spartak and then going back out on loan to for uh, for the rest of the season, like I say, getting another 25, getting another 25 games or so under his belt and, you know, coming back to Spartak to challenge for a first-team spot. But, but yeah, I'm happy now that um, he has gone back on loan to, uh, to Ufa. Nice, familiar, uh, familiar feel to it. And, um, yeah, wish him well. Hopefully he can get some more game time and, um, you know, Spartak shouldn't give up on him because um, I was impressed with Runoff as well last season. We all were. So, um, yeah, but this is a good move for him. Get some um, game time under his belt, which, you know, he does need. Yeah, certainly. And if you want if you want to talk replacements, then there really isn't much more of a able replacement in the RPL than Quincy Promes. He left the, the RPL as the standout best player. He comes back as one of the best, in my opinion. That's still Nikola Vlasic, but... He'll come straight into Spartak's team. He could pop up in a variety of different positions and be on the left wing in, in the 4-2-3-1 we're seeing at the weekend with perhaps Bakayev on the opposite side in his natural role in his best position, no longer central. If Tedesco does want to persist with the back three that he had for so long, uh, Promes could play in behind Larson and Ponser or Sobolev, a, a combination. And I feel that with Spartak, with Promes in and Kokorin and Uranov out. It's a far greater attacking prospect. So very excited to see Promes back, but hopefully Uranov likewise also has some good success at Ufa this season because God, Ufa do desperately need it. And discussing Ufa, I'll move on because Ufa's game against Ural was actually postponed <laughs> at the weekend. It was um it was temperatures reaching minus thirty degrees in Ufa at the weekend. So quite rightfully postponed, and that has been announced that the replay of the game will be, other rearranged game will be taking place on the 3rd of March. Uh, Richard, you watched Siska play Skar Kabarovsk. How did Siska do in their 2-0 win? Yeah, it was, um, I watched the whole of the game and it looked, um, a very routine, it was a very routine victory for um, Siska. You know, um, you could tell there was a division and a half difference uh, between the two sides. You know, they bossed possession, um, and you know, completely outplayed Scar. Like you can't, like we did expect it. Um, Scar obviously only one of two uh, non-RPL sides in the last sixteen of the cup. Um, and there was a lovely goal, and I was really happy to see this goal as well from Scar's uh, opening goal from um, from uh, Ilza Akmitov. It was a lovely strike, lovely volley into the right corner of the goal from just outside the penalty box or in and around the penalty box. It was a lovely strike. And I was happy for him, you know, because he's had a lot of injury issues over the last year, year and a half. And just to see him score that, you know, it was a, it was a nice feeling. And then uh, Vlasic got the second. Again, similar kind of range out in the second half. He got the second goal. Similar kind of range out from uh, Akmitovs. And, um, yeah, two lovely goals and um, a very routine win for Siskar, who you probably would have to say now are probably considered the favourites for the Cup. Because, obviously, with um, Zenit and Spartak now both out, um, it's um, a great opportunity for them and I probably will consider them the favourites for it now, yes. And um, just a quick word on um, Jose Solomon Rondon. He came on as a second-half sub and looked a little bit rusty. I think um flashed at a chance and missed it when he probably could have made it 3-0. But apart from that, I thought he looked all right when he came on. You know, he showed some nice link-up play with the forwards and it does make you wonder why Siska, should, what, shouldn't Siska just have waited till, not brought in a forward last summer and waited till January and got... Rondon in rather than um, the whole Geish episode, which um, the Adolfo Geish episode, which um, <laughs> was, um, yeah, but I thought Rondon came on and looked quite good. I'd have liked to have seen Lars Bohina either start or come on as a sub, but it wasn't to be. He's the other, um, so not Lars Bohina, um, Emil Bohina, and God, Lars Bohina, that's his daddy. He's a bit too old to be playing now. Um, but uh, I'd like to have seen um, <laughs> Emi Bohina come on. Uh, that would have been quite nice or start, but you know, I'm sure he'll get his chances in the next couple of weeks when uh, the games come come back into gear. But yeah, very positive from Siskar. And um, yeah, with Zenit rocking a bit now, um, they'll fancy their chances of um, making this a strong title race. And um, yeah, it was a good win for them and um, very comfortable in the end. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how Lars Bahirin's 51-year-old legs would handle the, the current Moscow weather, to be quite honest. I think you would probably <laughs> have a difficult time of it. Absolutely, um, yes. yes. Now, Tambov. We have to mention Tambov because on the eve of the weekend, many local fans and local themselves, Tambov themselves, and just about everybody else in Russian football didn't quite know whether 
the game was actually going to take place. Now, of course, it did take place in the end as as Loco duly dispatched the cobbled together Tambov side 3 0 at the RGD Arena. But to just briefly cover Tambov for anybody who may not have noticed, uh, not have realised during the winter, or might want a little bit of a, a breather during the winter, a reminder of what happened. But in essentially, Tambov have been hit by some quite hefty financial problems this season in which players have gone unpaid, debts have spiralled out of control and actually reached up to 306 million rubles, which is about 3 to 4 million euros. Now, that doesn't seem a lot to most other clubs in different countries, but it's a huge amount of Tambov. And it's believed that just under 50% of this debt is actually due to unpaid player wages alone. Now, this naturally put the future of the club into some serious doubt. Uh, Sporting director Pavel Kudyakov had claimed that the Premier League future was was heavily in doubt and uh, the Tambov Oblast governor Alexander Nikitin recently said that uh, Tambov is a non-for-profit organisation. We receive budget supports and grants and should have an additional income, but it's very low and that they could no longer support the club financially. Now, this continued on for quite some time whereby the start of February, they had only nine first-team players left. There was no resistance from the club management to stop any more dis- any further disgruntled players from leaving. There was no sub- more support from the regional government coming in. There was a minimal chance of continuing the season. Now, it was hoped that Valeri Organisian, who was known for his exploits at basically Ararat Moscow, the short-lived uh, Armenian expat club, that he would help them out of trouble. Uh, he was actually announced as Tambov's president in a post on the club's official website on the 16th of January. And then it was deleted within half an hour of being live. And now he claims that he never actually held the role. So he allegedly transferred 20 million rubles, which is about 220,000 euros, of funds to his personal account before leaving for Georgia in 2017 when he was at Ararat. And then popped up again here with Tambov and then just disappeared out of nowhere. So it's a very bizarre one. And and there's basically been this rumbling on in the background during the entirety of the winter. And then on February the 18th, literally just last week, Meta Ratings reported that Tambov was set to withdraw from the Russian Cup. Later on that day, Championat reported that Tambov were then set to withdraw from the RPL, with a final decision on the future uh, finally made. And then a day later, on the morning of February the 19th, the review announced that Tambov had found literally, in quotes, money from somewhere and will will now be able to play in the RPL and they appealed to other clubs to help Tambov cobble a squad together. Now, as of later on in that day, Sportbox then found out, a reporter for Sportbox found out that the money came from an unnamed private investor who's not from the Tambov region. So by the eve of the game, Tambov had actually managed to cobble together a squad of, of loanees and free transfers and some and other players that they already had. The big na- the, probably the most famous names were maybe uh, uh, Sergei Rizhikov, Saeed Aliyev, Kirill Klimov, Roman Minayev, both on loan from Rubin, uh, Nicholas Unwan, Yevgeny Chavanov. But basically, they had a, a Vladislav Kalapuzov on loan from Dynamo. They had cobbled together a squad of uh, other RPL loanees, uh, free agents, existing players who for some reason decided to stay despite not getting paid. A little bit of loyalty to the club there, so fair enough. And Julie were absolutely slaughtered 3-0 by Loco, which you probably would not be surprised by, judging that most of these players were signed literally three days before the game took place. So, David, in lieu of the fact that these players had been together for literally three days and never really played together before that, how do you think that Tampa fared against Loco? Hmm. Should I be kind? I mean, I'm pretty sure... At one point in the second half, there was a pop-up for stats and they hadn't had a single shot after like, I want to say like 60-odd minutes. Um, so that wasn't good. But obviously, you know, they, I mean, and I can't recall them having a shot, but it, they might well have done something later on in the game that I, I'm forgetting. But yeah, it wasn't great. You know, I mean, Loco didn't put out a big team either. It was, you know, it was a... A rotated team, you had Mukin started and uh, Jibalikdinov got a rare start and all. There's Sakovic up front. Um, and, you know, it was just, it was easy for them. You know, it was just a matter of time before the first goal went in, which obviously was off the corner. 
and then after that, yeah, it was it was just pretty much walking pace for the whole time. Uh, you know, half the players in this in this Tamworth team have not played in the RPL at all, uh, and those who have uh, have not played enough or not for a long time. Like um, Denny, sort of, he joined on loan from Arsenal. Tula has probably played less than like ten games in the last two or three years. You'd expect. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's definitely a ragtag squad. Lots of lots of inexperience, lots of youth in there. Obviously, they said there'd be more players to come in. I mean, it's nice. It's nice, um, you know, from the clubs to to have loaned these players. And, you know, a couple of these guys like um, Avanesian from from Cisco is you know he's highly rated eighteen year old and he got he got a start and played. Um, and a couple of guys who've who've done well in the Feneo in the past like Aliyev and, and Munayev who've. Have both proven themselves as worthy Feniel scorers, but Minai obviously just didn't settle at Arsenal. And Aliyev, this is his first go in the in the RPL. So, um, you know, for for three days, you know, to only lose three 0 is is something, I suppose. Um, remember, Andrew had said about their defender Fokhod Vasiev um, that he couldn't get into the team at two men um, in the PFL. Um, so the fact that he's start played a full ninety minutes against Loco is is not necessarily reassuring, but I mean of, of the whole team, obviously the defense is the strongest bit. You've still got Ryzhikov in goal, and they've still got Vitaly Shakov in defense. They're the two most experienced players in the team, um, and Gikashvili, who's still knocking around. Obviously, they played a few fixtures um, in the in the winter period as well. So yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a struggle. That's for sure. Um, for the rest of the season, we'll see. We'll see what else um, they do in terms of loans. Um, I was told earlier that they tried to get. You remember Leo Jaba, who used to play for Ahmad? Uh, I was told <laughs> that they tried to get him on loan, but um, it was rejected. Really? I don't even know. I'm sure. I'm sure he he's at Palk still. I don't actually know where he plays, but apparently they they went in for him. So we'll see what they do. Obviously, they've got until tomorrow on this day of recording to uh, to sign some players. So we'll see who else comes in. Um, to, to see if they can strengthen any, any further, whether it will just be padding out the squad, basically. Yeah, Leo Sharp is still at Pauk. He's only played like once or twice this season, but I'm, I can't say where do they get the money from, but that is the question, is where do Tambov or half Tambov got their money from whatsoever? Now, there has been a little bit of a discussion regarding Tambov on the sort of Russian football echo chamber, and that is whether or not this is the right thing to do. Now, of course, for the Tambov fans and for Tambov as a club and for the players, it's unequivocally excellent news for them. Their club is still alive, absolutely brilliant, uh, absolutely delighted for them that the club can club can stay alive. But from a larger philosophical, almost um, economical point of view, is it really right for... I mean, this money came in from a finance, a private source and a private investor. So that's oh, completely by the by. Private investment, as long as it was okayed by the relevant governing body, absolutely fine. The issue is, is in the, in the RFU statement in which they asked other RPL clubs to help out. Now, what if, say, that Arsenal Tula do loan out a certain Denisov to Tambov and then... Tambov maybe suddenly then, I mean, very unlikely because they're pretty terrible, uh, have go, go on a, a renaissance and, and have an excellent last 10 games and stay up at the expense of Arsenal Tula. What about the questions around the integrity of the governing body of the entire country asking the clubs themselves to help and bail out the club in question? Now, like I said, I don't want to suggest that Tambov should not exist, and I'm very relieved that they do, but it just opens up a can of worms in the future that may not be able to be shut, and it is worrying. What if like, this happens every year? It happened with Amkar, it happened with Angie, it happened with Tom Tomsk, just, and Tosna, just four off the top of my head. What if another club who comes up, say Tor- Torpedo Moscow, say they they come up, the owner doesn't want to fund them anymore, say they can't afford to run. I mean, this is purely hypothetical, they are being quite well run right now, getting a new stadium and so on, but what if they because of this new stadium, they find it difficult to pay the players and then they then say, oh we want the rest of the RPL to bail us out, help us stay up it's just opening up a little bit of a worrying can of worms that really should have been avoided and could have been avoided 
Um, but for Tambov's benefit, for them and their fans, I'm delighted that it happened. Uh, have you got any thoughts on this, Richard, about maybe the, the wider ramifications of this recovery? Yeah, I'd like to echo um, a lot of what you say there, James. Um, and also as well, um, I like how you mentioned the Tom Tomsk um, situation of a few years ago, because obviously, you know, when Tom hit similar financial difficulties halfway through the 2016-17 season, you know, they had to finish out the season with the with the youth players. Now, obviously, you know, that's not happening at Tamboff. They're getting loans from other, other teams. And, um, you know, it, you could say it's it's a little bit disappointing that the same protocol hasn't been applied. I mean, yes, if Tamboff were forced to play youngsters like the young kids and like the under-19s team, you might have got some lop-heavy scorelines. And, you know, that's not good for the competition. But then again, is it, like you said, the integrity part of it, is this really good for the competition? Um, you know, in a league like, for example, in England or Germany or something like that, you will never get a situation where, you know, if a team hit financial difficulty, you know, there'll be requests from other, for other clubs to loan this team in distressed players. Um, so, yeah, um, I think personally, don't get me wrong, I'm happy that Tamboff uh still with us um i don't want to see any football club fold it's horrible um for everybody involved but i do think that the tom tom situation should have been applied here and tamboff should have had to finish the season with the young players um and like i said this this the integrity has opened up uh, the whole competition's opened up and you know yeah it, it's it's not a good look yeah yeah absolutely and they have the the worrying thing about all these different different cases and point these case studies is that every single one was dealt differently like you said whether it be clubs being defunct there and then surviving to the end of the season with the amounts the enormous debts being paid off by the private ownership say in the course of case of Tosna where Fort Group the uh, St Petersburg based retail magnates um, paid all of the players until the end of the season and then decided to right we're pulling the plug now or like Angie and Tom, where they had to play the kids, and one was relegated to the Fenetel, yet the other one was relegated all the way down to the Payfetel. You've got Tambov now, who were then saved by other clubs. Basically, I don't want to try and get at the clubs here, or get at the other clubs for helping them, because, I mean, no. yes, time, time out on loan for Minaev and, and so on is, is very good for the parent club, but it just shows a distinct marked lack of real regulation that's in place from the top level and once again harkens back to the same issues again where there's just not enough sustainability within Russian football in terms of the economics there's not enough sustainability in terms of the regulations off the pitch in terms of the actual regulation of the rules or the regulation of the regulations there's just no consistency and it's a little bit of a shame to see once again that it's kind of like the the way that the RFU tends to deal with these is by putting a blindfold on and throwing a dart at a dartboard and seeing what it lands on and says, oh yeah, we'll do that this year. <laughs> and it's a different thing every single time instead of actually trying to make moves towards long-term sustainable progress of football in the country. Yes, the majority of fan football fans may be from the top four, five, six clubs, Yes, when Spartak go abroad, oh, well, go abroad. When Spartak go around Russia, they have do they do have more away fans than the home fans have every game. That's just way that the way that football happens. But just because of that doesn't mean that you should let these clubs off to die and just leave them to to struggle. It it just it's bewildering why the, the fact that we have to keep bringing this up every single time. And even more so bewildering that every time it's brought up, there seems to be a totally different random solution to it. But I mean, oh, one last, oh. Oh, sorry, one last thing as well. That I'd be pretty unhappy, you know, because like I said, I'd be pretty unhappy if I was Rotor or Ufa, for example, who are down there in the relegation zones, you know, and battling relegation with Tamboff. You know, I'd be pretty unhappy about it because, you know, unlike Tamboff, the finances are still okay, you know, and. You know, other clubs are getting them, you know, they've more chance of survival now with these low knees from other clubs than they would have had if they would have had to play their on the 19s. So I can understand why Roto or Arsenal Tula, for example, would feel a bit a little bit upset about it and Ufa as well. Yeah, absolutely. Ufa, the biggest case in point for myself, but they're a club who are pushing way above their weight, who have overperformed for years, both financially and on the pitch. And if anything, a lot of their struggles this season has been due to a direct 
result of their success and losing the best players again and losing the biggest piece of the puzzle in Gazizov. Now, he is back in place. Uranov is back in place at Ufa. But year in, year out, Ufa survive on next to nothing and, and have worked their way to it. It seems like Tambov stumbled a little bit, but once again, I don't want to try and have a go at the club because I'm delighted they're still alive. David, have you got any last thoughts at all on, on um, the Tambov situation? Yeah, I mean, I, I might not be um, on the same page maybe as you um, in this sense. Like the RPL, yes, they asked, but they didn't necessarily force. They didn't force clubs to do it. Clubs are loaning these players out of free will because you know, some clubs have said we won't be loaning anyone to them. So the fact that Arsenal um, have loaned these guys to Tambor, if it, if it comes back to bite them, then that's that's on them from my perspective, um, rather than rather than the RFU, because other clubs have said we don't we won't help you. You know, in the past, uh, you know, I mean, with the with the other teams, um, you know, they, uh, you know, they didn't give people loanies or whatever, but. Um, in this sense, you know, Tambov, I think, have a very small youth system and youth setup, and actually wouldn't have even had enough players in there, which could be why they were asked, why they did ask um, for loan players, just because I think they would have had like less than a dozen players in total if they just used um, the team that they use in the uh, the uh, youth Premier League. So I understand, I understand why they've asked probably um, for it, but just because they've asked doesn't mean they're going to get. Um, and even if they didn't ask, what was to stop Tambov going and asking for players going and making an offer? Um, what's the word I want to use? Not generically, um, you know, organically. Mm-hmm. You know, but they might have gone and made a loan offer, gone to us and said, "Look, we need, we want a couple of players. Who can we have?" So um, I don't, you know, I don't see it as that because it wasn't forcing anyone's hand from the RFU. They've just, you know, they simply said, you know, we might need to help things along here. Yeah. So, um, you know, if they go down, they go down. I think they probably will, um, yeah. but we'll see. Yeah, I suppose it is a moot because they are probably going to go and relegate no matter what anyway. And then, yeah, that's it, true. The, yeah. It is very similar. I mean, like you said, David, what about what's any different to them? Because I, I don't know if I made clear earlier on that it was the RFU asked this because Tambov approached the RFU specifically to say, "Oh, can can this happen?" Um, what's the difference between that and Kimki having this? Uh, relationship which is not a relationship with Spartak, where it clearly is. Like, like, why the hell would Kimki get so many people from Spartak this season? Just like Sochi, you've got so many people from Zenit. What's the difference between Tambov's, Krilia, uh, Kimki's and Sochi's? So that is the other hand of the argument. I just feel a little bit annoyed that I, I know yeah, it's not. it wasn't forced, but once again, we're just in this situation because of lack of long-term thinking. So if we're going to move on now because we need to quickly mention one last team from the Russian Cup and that was Krylia Sovietov. Uh, they are now the sole lower league surviving club in the Russian Cup after a 4-0 victory over Kimki. Uh, David, just very quickly, any standout, any standouts from the Krylia game? Um, yeah, I was, I was going to chop in with something on Kimki there at the end, but um, we'll, we'll leave it. Um, let's see, Krylia... Yeah, I mean, they just uh, they play Kimki off the park. Oh, we're on Kimki, so I might as well say it. Like, they've only actually signed one player from Spartak um, all season. Well, okay, they've not all season. They've, they've only currently got one player from Spartak, which is Mirosov. Glushenkov um, on loan directly from Spartak as well. Okay, oh, yeah, well, that's the okay, that's the second. But that's it. Like, it's not loads. Um, obviously, they did have Lomovitsky briefly early in the season, but he, yeah. he soon disappeared. Um, but yeah, they got completely played off the park against uh, Karelia. You know, they clearly are showing why we were, pop, um, you know, expecting them to come straight back up this season. Um, you know, penalty, early doors penalty, um, which was a penalty, you know. Um, and then second half, they, they swept him away. Uh, I think Kimki had a player sent off earlier on, um, you know, Andrew Tikhanov's son, <laughs> um, who's only had a few appearances in the Premier League. So it wasn't necessarily a strong um, Kimki squad. Uh, although, well, it was relatively strong other than that. Um, and then second half, yeah, it was just complete and utter domination. Um, Kimki had one time where they hit the post off their only attack that I recall happening, um, which was just a long ball over the top to Konate. 
um, and he hit the base of the post. The second career goal, which was all from Chertanovi players, it was built up from uh, Gorshkov, Zinkovsky, um, and the final final finisher was from Sipchenka. Really, really nice uh, team goal. Um, and then Sergeyev goes off later on, you know, job was done. Golenkov comes on off the bench, um, and just like he's done in the Feniel, played, you know, played second fiddle, came on, scored, and got an assist within five minutes um, to make it 4 0 at the death, uh, which is more than deserved. Uh, you know, players like uh, Zinkovsky, Sefan were really good, um, and so was Gorshkov as well at left back. So, um, yeah, a resounding victory. Uh, and I think in, in general in the game, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, um, eight, nine, nine former Chertanova players in the Karelia squad, plus one in the Kimki squad, which is Kamishev, who's on loan from Karelia at the moment this season. So 10 in total in that in that game um, have played for Chertanova in probably the last three years, uh, which is quite something really. Um, but yeah. It, it was worrying for Kimki, really. Mirzov, Mirzov got very lucky as well. He should have been sent off uh, for me. He, it, the VAR turned it over, and I have no idea how, because it was a horrible ch- challenge. Um, so, yeah, that it, it it made me think that maybe Kimki's golden spell you know, could be over and they might struggle the second half of the season, although arguably, and unfortunately, because you know, I'm not a big fan of them, it's, they've probably already done enough to stay up you know, those bottom four are really adrift and they're, you know, they're in the top half of the table. Well, they're not. They're not as, they're not as high as I thought. Um, so, yeah, it, it was not good and Kimki uh, and Carilio were, were more than deserving of it. So, um, I'm all for a Feniel Cup winner. Imagine that. Yeah, one could dream of Carilio in Europe. It was nearly, would nearly be as good as uh, a potential Tosner in Europe or, or a Shinnik Yaroslavl before or anyone like that before Tosno went out of business. But on the <laughs> Kimki Spartak thing, it was mainly the because they do have a financial agreement where um, Spartak were given more money by the regional government because Kimki were given more money because of the regional partnership that basically enables Kimki to not go out of business. Um, it's in in by comparison, it's just very very similar and a little little, little bit a little bit dodgy, <laughs> a little bit on the dodgy side. But um, yeah, I've got to move on to. Now, Krasnodar, as they actually faced off against Dinamo Zagreb as the only Russian representative in the European knockout rounds on Thursday. Now, it wasn't exactly the best night for the Bulls. Mislav Orsic and Bruno Pekovic combined well in the night, with the former setting up the latter twice. While Marcus Berg did score and assist Victor Klaassen, and in general had an excellent game. However, a winner from Nigerian forward and excellently named Iyayi believe Atimwian just six minutes after Klaassen's equaliser ended the, ended the tie. Now, Krasnodar looked dangerous in attack, but the defence was an absolute shambles, and in goal, Yevgeny Gorodov was just even worse. He made numerous high-profile mistakes, at least at fault for two of the goals, and potentially even the opener as well. So, David, it's probably fair to say, and maybe an understatement, to say that it was quite a disappointing night. Yeah, it was. It was disappointing because Krasnodar, um, while certain players didn't play well, um... Cabela, Cabela was largely invisible, which was a shame because we know he can he can be so good. And I think even last week we all picked him out as the key man. Um, but yeah, just some some horrible um, horrible goalkeeping. Uh, I mean, the second one, I would uh, the first one I probably would put on him as well. Um, as I recall, there was maybe four shots involved, and it was the fourth one that finally went in. Um, and from that final touch, you know. He, he challenged the striker in the air and was second best to it. I mean, first of all, keepers, should, for me, should always be first best in the air. Uh, but secondly, he probably shouldn't have gone for it and would have been fine if he didn't go for it. And that was the same with the second goal uh, off the corner. Granted, Petkovic was free at the back post, but he was free for a reason because he had very little on. But because Gorodov came and missed it, he had an open goal to just tap it into. Oh, well, not even tap it into, sort of scuff it into. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, you know, getting beaten like how he did it as near post, you know, just just um, not good. Awful. And you, you know, we bemoaned the the absence of Matvey Safonov, and you just think, you know, what would have happened if he was playing? Like, surely he saves the third goal. You know, keeping the tight two two, while it's not great to have conceded two away goals, there's a dance like better than three. Um, even if the first two were not preventable, let's just say, 
So, um, you know, I mean, some people were saying that the third goal was was poor defending. I I, I thought it was just good good attacking. Uh, Pekovic had just a moment of brilliance, you know, where he he took the ball on and managed to dribble past three or four players. Um, did did very well to to create the space and create the chance, which eventually opened up on the right side. But um, I don't, you know, obviously, keeper should have done much better with it. So yeah, disappointing. Um, we, you know, we got hope for something special uh, in Zagreb. You know, with their defensive record and the home record, you know they they beat Siska three 0 there. Um, two of the goals are offset pieces on that night. So you know, we we have to hope. You know, they've done it before. They did it in in uh, Salonika against Pauk. So we know they can do it, and that you know they've surprised us early in the season. Obviously against Sevilla, they they were two 0 up away uh, as well. So we know they can do it. We know they've got the ability. Um, it's just whether they really show up and a lot of things have to just go perfectly for them. Um, but it, it does seem unlikely. And uh, yeah, it was it was a disappointing watch because we all had you know, had some good hope for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why it's so disappointing because it is the hope that kills you. <laughs> and to be let down by something so, so stupid as an injury and then a bad backup. Like if I'm just going to, if we're going to pin it down to one thing, obviously it is a multitude of things, but at the at the highest level, we're pinning it down to a poor goalkeeper performance, yeah. brought on by the main goalie being injured. Something as simple as that could change could have changed the fortunes of their whole season potentially. So it's, it's very disappointing, and I think we've said it before that they've had bad luck with injuries. And obviously, after a while, when does it stop becoming bad luck and start becoming a problem? Injuries obviously always, or for the most part, are bad luck. Um, but there is obviously something systemic if if they keep turning up. But obviously. I'm not near qualified to have a, have a word on it, so I'm just going to say it was bad goalkeeping. goalkeeping really. <laughs> <laughs> That's understandable. I think we'd, we'll probably have to get some physiotherapists in and some injury specialists from, from southern Russia to see what they do in the water and what they do a little bit weird in Krasnodar because generally, yeah, injuries are luck, especially when it's just the odd... When, it, when it's the type of injury they've had where it's been... It's not like the odd muscle injury again and again. Say the same player getting similar hamstring injuries quite often where you would start questioning the training regimen. It is like anterior cruciate ligament injury. Okay. Uh, broken leg twice in a row. Shit. Um, broken ankle. It, it's it's full breaks, which are from a lot of the time, um, what seemed to be just quite hard challenges or, or issues like that. So you've got a feel for them. But once again, this is systemic. Um, do they not, point this out but we'll get into their transfer business and potential injury issues later on but from a little bit more optimistic side maybe even for Dinamo Zagreb as well Richard to, for both teams did anyone in particular stand out for you on the night? Oh, well, From Krasnodar's point of view I really enjoyed Marcus Berg's performance um, it's crazy how he's entering the final six months probably arguably the final few months of his Krasnodar career because we do expect age 34 he will probably go back to his native Sweden to finish off his career at the end of the season Um but, you know, he played like a player, you know, we were mentioning it pre-pod, he played like a player who was nine, ten years younger than what he is. You know, he was he was brilliant. He took his both his goals very well. I really enjoyed the combination with Klaassen for his for his second goal. Oh, sorry, no, it was he set up um, Klaassen for the second goal. Sorry about that, yeah. Um, he set up uh, Victor Klaassen for the second goal and the combination play between the two of them was good. And the first goal, you know, it was a bit of a defensive mistake from the Dinamo defender, but um, he he lashed it home. Good finish. Very easy to sky those over the over the bar. Um, and Krasnodar, in bits and bobs of that game, they played um, some good attacking football. You know, they, you know, I think Dinamo Zagreb, I think they'd only conceded, wasn't it, two goals in the entire group stage of the Europa League? So Krasnodar, from the attacking point of view, did the right things. But it's down to the whole... Um, other situation again, you know, I thought, um, you know, they did, they just didn't defend well, and um, obviously, yeah, Safanov was a huge, huge miss on the on the eve of the game, and um, you know, um, just disappointing Gorodov, wasn't it? Like I say, like David said, if he'd have stayed on his line for the for the second goal rather than coming, there wouldn't have been a free open space for the uh, Dinamo Zagreb. Um, for the Dinamo Zagreb player, wasn't it? Um, Petkovic, he impressed me from Dinamo Zagreb. He got the two goals um, to head into. And then the third goal, yeah, he, he should be saving that at his near post. I definitely think Safanov would have saved that. You know, the first goal, I can forgive a mistake, but three mistakes from the keeper, 
yeah, it's, it's not good. Um, and yeah, they've got quite a task on their hands to turn it around in Zagreb now. They've got to get an early goal um, if they're going to have any chance there. I guess at the Maximus Stadium, there's going to be it's going to be behind closed doors. The intimidation factor of playing there is probably removed. But even if Krasnodar were to score, and I think they can score in Zagreb, can you really trust the defence <laughs> to hold out? I'm just not not confident at all. No, and um, I thought I thought. Um, Olsen, Christopher Olsen was poor too, you know. I mean, first half, he was giving away the ball so much in midfield. And I think that contributed to the first of um, Dinamo's goals. So, I'd like to be optimistic. And I just, I still think Krasnodar will score, you know. If Berg replicates that form from the first leg and the second leg, I think they will score. But I just don't have any confidence in Krasnodar's defence, unfortunately. So, I'm afraid this is probably where the European campaign ends, unfortunately. Yeah, likewise, to be honest. I had in my uh, pre-match preview last week that I didn't really expect Krasnodar to, to kick on too well in terms of attack. I, they haven't played a competitive game in so long and Dinamo's defence is so solid, like you said, Richard. It was actually only one goal they conceded during the entirety of the six games in the in the group stage. But oh, wow. Krasnodar did show that they have that just next level of attacking quality. And it showed why they have dropped down from the Champions League in the first place. Because going forward, so absolutely brilliant. It's just so frustrating because the the mistakes and the defensive issues it was, were just so, I would say, avoidable. But we've had this conversation before with Krasnodar in Europe. But <laughs> yeah, too many times. <laughs> I did predict a nil-nil because I didn't think Krasnodar would score. And I didn't think that the defence would be too bad away from home with the with the fans behind them, but I couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> but uh, David, do you think that Krasnodar perhaps need a, could could they turn it around away from home and to do so maybe do they have to change up their approach or, or should they just stick to the guns? Um, I mean, the only change I would make is is um, starting Vanderson. I think he came off the bench at half time for Sheppy, um, and I don't know whether what that was whether that was tactical or you know a, a fitness thing. If if they're both at the same fitness level, I'd I'd be starting him and using Shappy as the impact player that we know he is. You know, we know he can have an excellent impact in, a, in an open game. Um, and just yeah, you, we've just got to go guns blazing. You know, they've got to go and score two unanswered goals at the at the minimum. You know, if Dino score, then it becomes a real headache. Um, so. So yeah, they they they've got to go there and they've got to do do the business. They really have to. Um, we know we know they can score, um, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be very tough. It's going to be very tough. And I, as optimistic as I normally am, I can't see it happening, unfortunately. Yeah, me either. To be quite honest, but if we, I, I hinted at it earlier, but I just want to mention Krasnodar's transfer policy now. We've mentioned it, we've all mentioned it many times on the pod. Seen it all over different pods. Hanu and Nautium have mentioned it on theirs. Um, we've seen it on Twitter in general. Krasadar fans wanting the defence to be strengthened. Now, it wasn't plainly. They they have now signed a left-back from France, but too late to play in Europe. And it was only really in reaction to the injury of Christian Ramirez. But, Richard, first, do you think that Krasadar making good use of their foreigner spots, considering who they have in these positions. There's quite a lot of players who have injury issues there, and and they were again linked to Fabio Contrao to replace Ramirez. Now that didn't happen in the end, thankfully, because although Contrao is a double Champions League winner with Real Madrid, he once again is a sick note. Now Krasadar are a team of sick notes, so do, do you think there should be questions on the transfer policy? Yeah, it's interesting how like. They they have a lot of players who are quite injured a lot on their payroll, um, you know. Uh, it's yeah, it's the fact that they were even considering Contreras was just crazy. Like like I said, I mean, I think he went a year after he left Real Madrid. I swear he went a year without a club, and I think he was play, I think he's playing for Rio Ave now back in Portugal. Um, but yeah, just to consider him with his injury record, I mean, you know, okay, yes. It's desperation situation. They need a left back to replace Ramirez, who looks like he will be out for quite a while. I've heard it's a cruciate ligament rupture, so you know that that looks that's definitely at minimum a season-ending one. 
but then to consider Contreras, yeah, surely as well, not just his age, but his, his tendency to be an injury prone, surely that's just waving you away from him straight away. I mean, I, I actually have had a look at Ambroise Oyongo. I've, I've asked a few people who follow French football about him. Um, he lost his place in the Montpellier side this season in France because of a change of formation. But apparently in the last two years in Montpellier, he did play regularly for them. I think it was 25 games plus each season. And this was a side that came sixth and eighth in the last two league earned seasons. So that, that actually does sound quite promising. He can go straight in there too because Ramirez is injured and I'm absolutely certain he's an upgrade on uh, Yevgeny Chernoff. I think he played um, in MLS as well for Montreal Impact and um, and New York Red Bulls. So it sounds quite promising. 29, good age. And you, n- you never know if Ramirez's injury is quite severe and Oyongo impresses, you know, maybe... Maybe Ramirez could be displaced, you know. I mean, it's not beyond the realms of impossibility. But on the other foreign transfers, yeah, I think obviously the foreign limit, yeah, I'm go- I've, it, it's Russian football news bingo once again. I've, I've mentioned it. Fortunately, we do have to bring this up because it's such a reassur- re- reoccurring theme. And um, obviously the eight-player foreign limit hindered Krasnodar in the January transfer window. You know, they've they look like for next season that they're, they're going to agree a fee with Hatie Spore for Aaron Bupenza. You know, he wants to finish out the season at his current club in Turkey and they're pushing for Europe in Turkey. Uh, Hatie Spore, it's actually their debut season in Turkish top flight. But it looks like Krasnodar will sign um, Aaron Bupenza from them, the main striker. I think he's 25-year-old uh, Gabonese, 24-year-old, sorry, Gabonese forward. Um, he was formerly at Bordeaux's um, youth team. So it looks like they've made a signing there for next year. But the frustrating thing is, Krasnodar couldn't bring him in now as an upgrade on Berg because they were already quoted up with the foreign limit. Um, and, you know, they've had issues with this in the past, in the summer. I mean, I personally feel that they made a mistake letting Uros Spajic go, which, you know, I thought he was a better defender than um, than Kayo. And, you know, interestingly, Kayo was signed as a defensive midfield player and he ends up playing central defender for Krasnodar. So... Yeah, I think Krasnodar definitely need to rejig these foreign spots in the summer. Um, and I think there probably needs to be quite um, a ruthless uh, mentality towards them too. It's good that they're getting the Bupenza deal done for next season now and they've got a Berg replacement, um, a, a cab ready to go off the rank. But I think they they need to really rejig those foreign spots, particularly those two in midfield. Um, Olsen, really disappointing um, on the night against Dinamo. And he's been... St- steady but I think Krasnodar can find an improvement there I've been very disappointed in Villania actually I think you know yeah he probably needs to be moved on and then yeah Kayo you know maybe even is worth considering bringing Uros Spajic back from his loan at Feyenoord I've heard he's been playing regularly for them he played against Siska in the Europa League and yeah I think the foreign spots really need rejigging in the summer for Krasnodar I think yeah absolutely I think that Krasnodar for me really suffer from the one gaping hole in that team, and that gaping hole is the departure and passing of time due to age of Andreas Grankfist. Since his, since yeah, he he's left, a big the, miss, big miss. Yeah, they, they really don't have enough steel in there. Martinovic is fine in the in the RPL, absolutely fine, but even he's now thirty five, and and when it comes to these big European games, just get it's absolutely slaughtered against real quality opposition. There's just not enough pure steel in there where. A, a type of defender whose job is defending first as well as doing everything else that is required of a Krasnodar player. Uh, David, do you have any any thoughts on these uh, foreigners at Krasnodar, the current crop? Yeah, I mean, I think we were we were chatting about it, or I was chatting about it with someone the other day, and I was arguably you'd probably keep three or four of the foreigners at most who who were there. Now I'll let Krasnodar off for the for the January. Um, because you build a squad for this season at the start of the season. Now, granted, they had a very short summer to do it in, although it was a technically a very long window, but they had a very short break to build the squad. Um, and they obviously went into this with the new limit, brand new limit for this season, right? So they had to trim. They had to trim down the squad. They had to say, right, these are the foreigners we want, and we're going to have to just gamble with it. Now, January is notoriously difficult for moving players on. Remember the Premier League, uh, I think, uh, what English Premier League had only four or five permanent transfers for the whole of January. Um, so to get clubs moving players around in this in a normal January is difficult enough. But in a January in a pandemic, uh, very difficult, and especially during with the limit filled up. So I think they've made their decisions at the start of the season on the on the squad, um, and and just gone with it. I I, I seem to recall Spyich left 
for from his own um you know for, for his own choice rather than Krasnodar forcing him out but I'm not sure I wouldn't oh, don't quote me on that um so yeah but Berg you'd be moving on for Bupenza if that's going to happen you know we don't I don't know much about Bupenza like, I've never seen him but I know I know of his record obviously for this season uh, you have to hope it's not a flash in the pan record um Berg's move on you'd I'd move Olsen on I'd move um Kayo on I'd move uh Villenia on if I could You'd be keeping, although they're getting old, both in their... Or well, Klaassen, I think, is just 29, is he, I think. But Klaassen and Cabello, you'd be keeping both just because of their, their actual talent, the fact they're good. Ramirez, you'd probably be keeping because he's a good RPL left-back. Um, you know, he showed it in the first half of the season in the Champions League where he played on the wing and uh, scored that nice goal against Rennes as well. Um, very unfortunate, let, you know, to have an injury so last minute and after. You know, he got his injury after the... Um, Europe League registration was done, so there was nothing they could do about that. Um, they've just had to try and get someone in to rep- to fill in this void in the league. Um, and obviously, options are thin. I'm not going to comment on stuff that didn't happen. We don't actually know if they were really interested in Fabio Contral, or whether that was just paper talk. But they, uh, you know, brought this guy Yongo in, and you know he probably won't stay in Russia past this season. You know, he'll likely come in just to help fill fill the squad out for the rest of the season and that'll be that. So um yeah we we they definitely need to um do something with their squad in the summer. Obviously a lot will depend on what happens with the limit, whether it stays at eight, whether whether things change, that'll that'll alter um alter the situation massively. I think if they're planning now, which they should be, most clubs are planning way in advance on their transfer situation. They should be planning for eight and doing the best they can to plan for that eight, you know, scout their targets. Um, analyze their targets, you know, try and find other targets if they've not already got them. And, uh, you know, plan plan that squad now, ready for next season. That's what the top clubs will be doing with their analysts and scouts. So, um, and if and if the limit changes and they're allowed more, then bonus, they can, they can expand their plans and look at targets who may be further down the list, not priorities, maybe. Maybe they're looking at two strikers, but they only need one because of the limit. Maybe if the limit changes, they can buy two. So, um, that's what that's what you'd be hoping they're doing, uh, and they need to do it because ultimately, for a club of their stature, uh, although Berg is good, you know he's still scoring regularly in the Premier League and was fantastic um, against Dino. Um, if Bupenz is coming in and his contract's up and he's getting on a bit, it's just a good mixture of things to say. Okay, let, let's just part ways here. But yeah, I agree with Grand Christian. I remember at the World Cup, he was just phenomenal um, for Sweden at such at such an old age. And uh, yeah, they've had they've had no real leader there. Obviously, Spajic, even in his first season, wasn't great. But in that second season, he was good until he picked up his injury. And then we never saw him again after his injury. He came back in the summer and went straight off to Feyenoord, Feyenoord on loan. Um, so yeah, they need they need to go out there and get a real leader for the center center of defense. Um, I don't know who that is. Ideally, you'd want someone who can communicate well with the with the players around him. Um, so it may not be necessarily a Russian. Uh, you know, they've got Martinovich and Sorokin as the Russian speakers if they need them. Um, so yeah, that that that's got to be priority number one. But they they need to try and uh, improve their foreigner usage definitely. If if the limit's going to stay so restricted. Yeah, certainly. In an ideal world, the limit just is removed entirely. But it, that is, and of course, an ideal world and. There's a 99.9% chance that the Fabio Contra rumours was pure just agent talk. It's quite funny that this is the man who retired in January 2020 through injury, only to then return in October 2020 to, to play for Rio Ave again, the same team, um, nine months later. And has been, if you if you type in Fabio Contra transfer and just go on at the news section of Google, it's just like story after story after story of Contro linked to this club, Contro linked to that club. <laughs> so someone's agents obviously put in an overtime. Um, it's just quite a nice little humorous aside that the most injured squad in the history of injured squads sign tries to sign uh, reportedly tries to sign the most injured player in the history of injured players. And on that, of course, that's the end of this this week's RFN podcast. On the site at RussianFootballNews.com, as per, we'll have the full preview of the Krasnodar game. And that's the return of our Krasnodar specialist, Wilm Baumgartner. 
Also on the site this weekend, as aforementioned, we'll have a new and special video of Quincy Promise's first time in Russia to celebrate his return. Now Connor, Artyom and Hanu are putting some overtime work in and, and really rushing to get that one done, but it's looking really good so far and it's definitely one for Spartak fans to reminisce about and get a little bit of hype maybe about his potential return. But by the time we return for the next podcast, the RPL will have been back. Both leagues, the RPL and the Finnail, kick off again this weekend. Some of the big games in the RPL, Zenit Rostov, Logo Siska and Spartak Rubin. You can catch them all live on the RPL YouTube channel. And in the Fenner L, there's a massive clash at the top of the table as first place Nizhny hosts second place Krilia on Saturday morning. Now you can also catch that at either Yandex Afir or Sportrex, depending on, on what country you're watching it in. Uh, David, now I'm aware that maybe last week you weren't quite allowed to discuss this new Scouted Football handbook you teased, but you can go into a little bit more oh, detail. Yeah, that's right. Now. Yeah, yeah. Um, new handbook number nine is out. Um, it's now available for purchase. Um, I've been lucky enough to contribute again with the profile on yet another Cisco player. Uh, this time, I promise I don't choose them. Um, most of the time, I'm giving like, like, okay, do you want to do this guy <laughs> or this guy? Like, we've had, we've had, you know, we have a short list, and then they, you know, they give it, give me a, like, we need a midfielder. Let's do, let's do a Blikov. So we, yeah, so even a Blikov in there this time for me, um, and the the excellent Alex Stewart, who I'm sure you're both very aware of from TIFO mm-hmm. football, has um, done a profile on Matvey Safonov. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, shows that uh, maybe the Russian Premier League is getting a bit more noticed than we thought for um, someone like Alex, who I believe has a, a background in goalkeeping. And certainly I know he's um, friends with Aidan, who has done work with us at the goalkeepers before. So I um, look forward to reading that. Uh, and they branched out from just profiles. There's lots of stories in there as well, interviews. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on it and, and seeing how, they, how they've expanded the book with the new features. So, um, so yeah. That's good to hear. I didn't realise it was just not profiles this time. That's yeah, good. yeah, expanding big time. It, it looks really, really nice. Cool. Ah, very um, good. Good to hear. Richard, we're expecting a new article from yourself in the in the very imminent future, perhaps, on some transfers? Yes, you certainly are. We, we certainly are. Um, obviously, the transfer window shuts tomorrow, so I've got um, a short list of um, the 10 deals, the best deals, the January transfer, uh, the winter transfer window. Um, in Russia, um, I've got a number of them down now, and there's a few more I'll be adding. Um, there's a couple that's been announced recently, and um, they'll be on that list. And um, I'm going to finish that off next few days, and it should be on the site around next week. So, yeah, uh, ten transfers to watch in from the winter transfer window. Excellent. Now, this has been the RFM podcast. Goodbye for now. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечок. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.